You're listening to Pull the Thread Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Douglas. I'm a celebrity tailor, a creative entrepreneur, and a wild Mustang tamer. I took a brother home sewing machine. I put it on a $30 Craigslist desk and eventually built a six-figure sewing business that supports a life I love while generating hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue each year. Now, it's hard for me even to wrap my head around those numbers, and it definitely didn't come easy. But if there's anything that I love doing, it's helping others shorten their learning curve. I'm sharing what I've learned about entrepreneurship and business building as it applies to craft-based work and opening up about what I wish I knew when I first started. I'm sharing every tool, trick, and business process I've learned from costuming celebrities, manufacturing clothing, and selling products so that you can stop questioning your skills and start profiting from your work. So you ready? Let's go. Here we go. Welcome back to Pull the Thread. If you have been waiting for me to publish this next episode, I just want to say thank you. (laughs) That one took me a minute. Uh, It turns out my pace and my bandwidth is not as much as it used to be, and I am still learning new crystal post having COVID, and recovery is not linear. So I'm giving myself grace. Please give me some too. Let's go ahead and dive on into episode four. And The reason that I'm really, really excited to bring this to you as episode four um, is because the four-year anniversary of my business, Music City Sewing, is this next week. And so as a four-year anniversary, I am doing the fourth episode, and I am just now starting to figure a few things out. So here's my list. This is what I have learned, um, just the highlights about launching and growing a sewing company in four years. Um, And my hope is that whether you sew um, or you are going after a different creative endeavor, as like I've gotten so many messages from different people who have nothing to do with sewing or with the the handmade world, but um, they've been able to find some value um, in the business building tools that I've been sharing here. And so this is all for you. I would be lying if I didn't tell you that this fourth year, 2021, wasn't the hardest year yet. Like, let's remember, my fourth year in business was the year that I had to navigate a small business through a global pandemic, literally a month after I quadrupled my overhead. So here we are. I have a strong, precocious four-year-old named Music City Sewing on my hands. It is growing faster than I can keep up most of the time, and it is bursting at the seams. So I did not offer the same things from day one as I do now to give you some reference from the beginning. Like these are all the things that we've done. We've done alterations, products, uh, soft goods, tailoring, costumes, face masks, merchandise, and small batch manufacturing. I have fixed a couch cushion or two. I have hemmed curtains. I have fixed baby blankets and stuffed animals. Um, Fast forward to last week, I was working with... Miley Cyrus and her and like it's I've costumed world tours countless celebrities on red carpets you name it if a needle and thread touched it then I had done it I've also learned what works in terms of client communication and customer service and quality control and scaling and hiring and firing and expanding workspaces and shipping and freight and marketing and advertising and like the differences between service-based and product-based sewing So when I say you name it, I've done it, I feel like I've seen it all. And of course, naturally, as a small business owner, that means that I get surprised every month with a new new problem to solve. Um, 
So I'm going to zoom back in on the top of this fourth year really quick for you, and then I'm going to give you my top four. So on March 1st, 2020, I had signed a new commercial lease from MCS, and that essentially quadrupled our overhead, like I said. On March 11th, we lost all of our contracts for the work for the year, and we were promised zero work to do, zero income. Since 100% of our income relied on the entertainment industry and everything had been canceled for the year. So mid-2020 to mid-2021 was our fourth year in business and that packed more lessons than any previous year. And it was truly a season of real entrepreneurship, not like the way that the economy was behaving before. It was super ruthless and completely intense. Like every decision that I made had a direct effect on somebody like or everyone's livelihood (laughs) and it would either breathe life into or it would extinguish the business altogether um it like the closest comparison that i have to it right now because it's just fresh on my mind um i am so i I just took my first class on learning how to fly like i want to get my my private pilot's license and i noticed this is exactly what it's like the first time that i took the yoke Just so much as touching it with my pinky radically changed the direction and the stability of the plane. Like it felt like I was going to fall out of the sky if I overcorrected. That's exactly what it felt like navigating this business through COVID. Um, And so, yeah, super ruthless. Um, It was super like stressful and intense. My adrenals got shot. I ended up overworking myself and even catching COVID. Just like a lot happened. So a lot of gray hairs, a couple regrets. Super, super proud of the journey. A lot of gratitude for it. Um, And so I've got this list. And this list is four things that I've learned about launching and growing a sewing company in four years. And I really think that you can apply this list no matter what you're building or what you set out to do. So my first one is structure your work for help from the start. If you want to be a solopreneur and you're not interested in growing to need help, you are still going to have to set up your business or your side hustle as if at some point you're going to bring in another set of hands, whether it's an intern or an assistant. You just never know what could happen. You could injure a hand or you could get sick. You may need to make a little extra money next month. So adding to your volume a little will get you where you want to go. Or maybe the market doesn't bear a high price on the item that you make but you need to make more money to survive. Like you just don't know. And so at some point you'll need to need people in order to be profitable and you'll need to generate enough work to feed them all. No matter how scrappy you get on cutting costs and keeping overheads low, which is easy to do in sewing after all seamstresses have a superpower in frugality. I always say (laughs) you'll never truly drive your bottom line without growing the business to a size That requires more sets of hands. Like everybody has the same amount of hours in the day, right? Nobody cheated you and only gave you 22. Beyonce doesn't get 27. We all have 24 hours a day. And there's a cap as to how much time you can actually spend sewing or making or working at whatever you're working at. And so at some point, the market bears what it will bear. And you can only work so many hours. So the more hands that you add to the project the higher your income can be. In the very beginning, I never saw myself as somebody who would need or even want to have to hire help. And then I started missing deadlines. 
And then I had to cut corners. And then the product suffered. And then I had to redo work. And then I lost money. You get where I'm going with this, right? Like even if you don't plan to hire someone tomorrow, set up your work as if you could hypothetically bring another set of hands in at any time. One of my biggest lessons in setting up my business processes so that others could come alongside me was in realizing just how heavy a sewing company can be. A sewing studio requires industrial equipment, which is expensive and bulky, which means you are going to need raw, open square footage in order to have the equipment that you need, like a lot of square footage. And I've learned this one. Um, And it's like, even if you're working by yourself, you still have to have a cutting table. You still have to have sewing space. You still have to be able to hold on to all of those orders that you're working on. And I learned all of this the hard way that you can't lone wolf it and make it, not unless you end up salaried in the back of a theater somewhere. And this is the goal for many. It just, it wasn't for me. You either have to go specialty or you have to go volume, but either way, you have to be open to receiving help. And in order to be open to receiving help, you have to structure your work and your business processes as if someone is going to come alongside you and help you. When that help comes along, your entire business and everything that you've built will become flipped upside down. And you are going to yell at the wall and ask why you even bothered now that you're having to learn how to describe things, which is not the way that your helpers will understand. And all of a sudden you're running in circles and you're trying to delegate tasks and dial back your expectations. You'll have to restructure how work looks. So rather than spending 12 hours on three tasks, you spend eight on two tasks and you delegate out the third task to someone and it'll take them seven hours and you'll argue with yourself over why that doesn't mathematically work. And then you'll realize that you have no choice because once again, you only have 24 hours in your day and your expectations weren't fair to begin with. (laughs) Does it sound like I am speaking from experience? I hope so. I wouldn't trade it for the world as hard as this journey has been in learning how to lead a team and training a rock star team that I finally have. It's, it is so worth it. Just, it is so worth it. I can't, I can't praise them enough. They're amazing. Um, for me, I learned in the middle of the pandemic that I could either support myself and maybe an assistant and barely get by, Or I could take a risk and launch a new division and increase our monthly revenues by 400%. (laughs) I realize that that sounds absolutely crazy, but I think you would be surprised um, just to see the opportunities in front of you when when you're just willing to take a chance and you're willing to branch out and pivot into a new direction that you might not be completely clear on in your head just yet. With a pandemic going on, I chose the option that created the most jobs even if it meant that I was shorthanded and exhausted from time to time, AKA like all of 2021 (laughs) after navigating the aftermath of 2020, I constantly have to restructure work at MCS to accommodate varying skill levels and personal schedules and deadlines. And Hey, we still mess up all the time. I am not perfect. We are not perfect. We're still figuring it out. Um, I still have a hard time respecting personal schedules when at the end of the day, it's my neck on the line to keep a deadline. Um, but it's, it's constant adapting and constant pivoting, set up systems in place that prepare the work to be delegated before it actually needs to be. And then you can manage your own expectations of other people and you'll be in for a much better time as you grow. When things finally grow large enough to hire one person and then two, 
My systems and processes were already in place and my new hires could simply follow that documentation. It was fluid and easy to add new team members to our Slack group or assign tasks to them in Trello. All right, this is bringing me to my second lesson that has taken me four years to really, really apply and learn and soak up and apply. All right, budget for mistakes. You might think that your skills are crushing, but give it time. And when you scale, you're not always in control. People get tired. They forget to check their work, myself included. And before they send it down the line, you will make a dumb mistake somewhere. Something will happen. And humans tend to batch their mistakes, multiplying the time that they spend fixing things. And um, whether you charge by the hour or by the unit, uh, the garment, um, you know, whatever the actual object is that you're making, either way, it's going to require time, which if you're a business owner, you know, is also money. If your project has two mistakes, congratulations, you're a month behind, which means your rent overhead has doubled for the span of your project. And so has your salaries in a recent project. Three simple, honest mistakes cost us 82 hours. That's two full weeks of work for a full-time employee to undo and redo the garments correctly. Um, All because we skipped a step and we didn't pin one section of a garment in place. And wouldn't you believe that knit sneakily stretched on us? It sucked. Um, If you're estimating out a project, my recommendation is to buffer it by 20% no matter what the project is, no matter what kind of project it is. That way you can ensure that you'll have time to move backwards and then say a prayer that you're wrong and finish early. (laughs) Uh, I budget for mistakes in fabric and notions and time too. It helps us create contingencies should we run out of something that has to be special ordered or as you probably know, shipping delays after COVID still are awful. (laughs) Um, I thought that would be solved. Nope. So like, or like a critical machine breaks and it has to go into the shop. Just plan on being bummed at some point in your project and budget accordingly for that. My third lesson uh, that is probably the most exciting one because I feel like it gives you some automatic traction, like an automatic assignment, something to take away um, from listening and then instantly apply would be to document over creating. And what I mean by that is that documenting your job is 40% of the job and 90% of the marketing content. So in the beginning, I had no help and no free time. um, But the little bits of sharing that I did in terms of social media and email and on my website and just with friends, it grew my business by leaps and bounds. And I think when people first get started, they're exhausted at the idea of creating unlimited content to market their hustle. And I so get that. I mean, like who has the time? People have no idea how much time this stuff takes. Um, The secret is in documentation. So if you are staring at the blank screen of death and you're trying to write out social media captions or blog content or an email for your email marketing, um, why not just document what you're doing? Why not just share about the process, about the experience, what you've learned, Um, if you share about the process of making it, it makes it a lot easier to come up with new ideas because you're going to share the things that you're learning and other people can come along with you on your journey. Um, and over time they know, like, and trust you and they've bought in on your vision too. So they're cheering you on. 
So rather than feeling the need to create unique and creative contextual content, just focus on documenting that experience of starting and running and growing your creative business. I think you'll be floored when you notice that the business is gaining more and more traction as you go rather than remaining quiet until you have something that you're proud of. I think a lot of people don't want to share until they're really, really proud of whatever that they've built, but you're not going to get where you want to go hustling in private. Like you just won't. It's such an isolating journey. Um, It's very, very difficult. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, um, that, starting and growing and running a a small business, especially a creative one, is just thrilling and is full of likes and comments. It's not. Um, At the time that I'm, I'm, it's 11 p.m. while I'm recording this and I'm batch recording all of my podcasts. So like I'll be up half the night doing this so that I can bring you guys fresh episodes and also be here for work in the morning. Um, And so it's a lot easier to just document the experience of going through this um, and and growing alongside my company um, than it would be to stay quiet until you know I'm tailoring a red carpet that I'm really really proud of. Um, people won't believe you when you stay quiet. You know you have to be authentic and real and believable, and to be believable is to document. All right, fourth one: fall in love with the process, not the goal. You are going to get your teeth knocked in. (laughs) It's part of it. (laughs) You cannot avoid that part of the journey. And no one is going to do it for you. And no one is coming to save you. You have to keep going. (laughs) It's going to get rocky. You're going to run out of cash. You're going to have influxes of cash. You're going to be tempted to invest in more equipment or workers or whatever. But just be patient. Sit still and calculate every move. If you get so fixated on your end goal, the day-to-day will make you ache. It's like fully suffering through all of the reps. You have to be in love with doing the reps. You can't be in love with just the end physique that you see in the mirror. I have met so many people along this journey of building a business, and the ones who burn out and quit are the ones who are so impatient to just get there already that they never spent enough time falling in love with the the process of making it. Your entrepreneurial endeavors, they're a journey. (laughs) And your likelihood of achieving the outcome that you want will come down to your ability to sit in your own discomfort while trying to make it. Just learn to love the process of making it. Um, I like to think of it as seasons. Um, All businesses have seasons, just like trees. You have a rooting season where no one sees you killing yourself to grow those roots that you'll need later. I have personally watched my little business go through about seven rooting seasons that felt like pure torture. Those seasons have tested me and tried me and landed me sitting down in my shower eating ice cream while the water ran over my head and into my little coffee cup. (laughs) and I would just spoon it out and eat it in the shower. And I'm sure that that is like, it's sad and hilarious at the same time. To me, it's hilarious looking back on it because I have been through seven of those seasons of just hurt, pain in the growth. If you have had a rooting season, you feel that, you know what that feels like. And it feels like no matter how hard you push, nothing gets easier. And these intense, uncomfortable, and sometimes downright excruciating rooting seasons are necessary. 
and you will not produce the goal without accepting that in those moments, you are meant to grow tough, thick, deep roots and not sweet, delicate flowers. Then comes your growing season. You'll grow and you'll sprout leaves and people will start to notice and make nice comments and cheer you on, but the work isn't over. You still are having to bust it to make ends meet and acquire the kinds of work that you want to be doing. And this phase comes with more stepping out of your comfort zone and taking hold of projects that stretch your skills. But you at least feel that sense of accomplishment knowing that you're growing towards the light, not down deeper into the dark, which is what growing roots feels like. And then come a short little pop of flower buds. And for me, those would look like a fun music video shoot and getting Getty images back. And for you, they could be a glowing Etsy review or a windfall month of selling everything that you have after a TikTok video goes viral. You go. (laughs) Um, Nothing blooms forever, but those little buds reward you for all the hard work that you committed to. And while you have to love that process, otherwise you'd hit a pretty intense low when the flowers hit the ground. The slowest to come is a true fruiting and harvest season. And everyone is going to say, wow, look at you. It feels like you just became an overnight success. Yes, girl. (laughs) And you will patiently keep going and keep your mouth shut, remembering that every route that you had to painfully grow, whether it was sitting up at three o'clock in the morning, finishing a project or the months of learning that you had to do to build an incredible Shopify store or the countless nights that you spent strategizing the growth of your baby business or the fact that you had to pick up another language just to interface with the manufacturers that you work with. All of that, man, like it takes years to get good fruit and you have to be patient if you want it to turn out like you'd envisioned. And then you'll reach a discomfort after pruning and then you need to remember that your willingness to be patient through the discomfort will set you apart in the next harvest. Keep showing up. Even if someone comes along and steals your crop or pretends that they grew yours and takes credit for it, (laughs) just keep showing up. Even if nobody notices the work that you're putting in, keep showing up after everybody notices what you just pulled off. Patience is everything. So there you have it. There's my four pieces of advice that I can adamantly give after four years in business with that fourth year being navigating a global pandemic while quadrupling my overhead and recovering from COVID and having it myself. So if you have any thoughts on these, um, I would love to hear them. Find me on Instagram at at Crystal Douglas, that's K-R-Y-S-T-A-L Douglas, and drop a comment. I will so get back to you. Thank you so much for your patience in getting this episode um, and for tuning in to Pull the Thread podcast. It means the world that you would press play and let me pop into your earbuds. If you are feeling mega generous, don't hesitate to hop over to the iTunes store and leave a five-star review. Five stars only. By the way, don't hit me with that four-star crap, okay? Turn it off, unsubscribe. Don't hit me with that. Five stars, all right? Review it because that's how others like yourself find this podcast. Until next time.